This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. This is our first win against a top six side in the last two years. The last one being a 4-0 victory at Goodison Park against Man City in January 2017. James, how do you feel today on this Sunday afternoon? Feeling very, 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 very good, despite feeling very down in the dumps after the first 45. It was a entirely different Everton team that we saw come out in the second half, ready to fight, ready to to run and press and do all the things that Marco Silva insists are core to his philosophy. And we really, they just it looked like Chelsea were not expecting us to come out with such aggression in the second half, and they were completely on the back foot for most of that second that second spell of play credit to the players for turning things around the crowd for getting up for it. And it feels really good to finally get that, that landmark win and something Marco Silva needed, I think in this run towards the end of the season with nothing left to play for, to get a win like this, make a statement for the future. I'm over the moon. I feel great. That makes two of us. I heard that at the match prior to the match starting, Goodison Park had up on the main board comparisons between Sigurdsson and Ross Barkley at Chelsea and showed statistics in which Gilfie Sigurdsson was winning in every single statistic. And I'm there for that sort of pettiness from Everton. Oh, absolutely. I'm here for it. It was great to see Ross Barkley and, you know, credit to him. He had some neat little passes and some things that he he was trying and he looked an okay player, but the booze eventually wore him down, crushed his soul and it was all summed up when he was subbed off and gave that little twirly clap nonsense to the crowd. Uh, Ross, you can get wrecked, get effed for all I care. I loved you as an Everton player. You burned us. You burned us good. And we burned you back today. 2-0. And all around, just it, it's the first top six win that we've had the pleasure of recording after. So uh, all things considered... It's nice to have Everton uh, make a statement win and to be able to to record with some optimism finally. So I'm going to say this. The only thing I liked from Chelsea today was Sari on the sideline chewing on his fake cigarette butt. And I'm just sitting here thinking, I kind of wish Marco Silva was ripping heaters on on the side of Goodison Park. I on- can see Marco Silva with like an elegant, like well-crafted pipe, like a Gandalf from Lord of the Rings type <laughs> pipe. Just like up two feet long and just like, just to one up, sorry. And I don't even know if that's a fake cigarette, but I I imagine that he's like ripping them in the locker room and then just has nowhere to put it. And so he's like, (laughs) I'll just carry it out on the pitch and hold it. It's like a baby blanket type situation going on with sorry and his little cigarette, but it looks ridiculous. Like just use a toothpick or something. What is wrong with you? Or some gum, you know, but I don't, I don't care, man. It kind of, it looks pretty funny and, and. That was my main takeaway from from Chelsea in this match. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. But let let's get into it, right? So, in terms of the lineup, I think it was exactly what we thought it was going to be, right? We saw the only two changes were Coleman came in for John Joe Kenny. He was not sick anymore. I'm assuming it might have been some sort of stomach bug or something last week. And then Yerry Mina started at left center back because Kurt Zuma cannot play against his parent club. Yeah, two changes. Coleman rightfully back in the side and what a fantastic performance and from him really a resurgence in form given the the critiques that have come his way 
for most of the the campaign thus far, made some honestly very, very good, powerful, uh, clever runs and some nice, neat little tight touches. He's never going to be one to do any kind of tricks or anything of that nature, but just direct, uh, powerful runs that and had a couple really good crosses, some really good link up with Richarlison on the right. And then Yeri Mina, though he had one moment, that back pass that he completely messed up and ended up going out for a corner that never should have been, won a lot of balls in the air, looked a threat on offensive set pieces, and another game goes by where we don't concede from set pieces, which was something you mentioned to me when we were talking. Feels good. Feels good, man. I'm going to be honest. I thought Yeri Mina had a really good game. I was super, super nervous because, you know, we talked about it with the Newcastle match and not to dwell too much, but he came in, he subbed on, and that's when things fell apart, right? And not to say that it was just Yeri Mina, right? It was just, I think, the lack of familiarity in, in, a, in a back five or, or having three center backs on the pitch. But he came in, as you said, he was pretty much almost flawless. We had great threat on attacking set pieces. Although I think Dom connected with a lot of them. I thought it was Yeri Mina for, for the one leading up to Richarlison's goal, but it was actually Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And then, of course, Michael Keane, he had a really good match as well. I think the center backs are really starting to make me feel good about what we're building, at least on the back end of the pitch. Hold up. You just said you feel good about something relating to Everton. I don't, I'm not familiar with this this emotion. It's so foreign given. And it's crazy. It, it, it's worth mentioning, you know, we feel really good with the 2-0 victory, of course. But the first half was very, very poor. And if we had come out the second half, I mean, it could have just as easily been another drab, depressing Everton result. Whatever Marco Silva has said in the locker room at halftime, we need to bottle that up. He's had, there's been multiple games this season where we haven't looked good in the first half and have come out rejuvenated in the second half. But the first half was problematic. I think we were determined not to get caught out early and that sort of contributed to uh, just a lack of aggression. And we were sitting in our own half, letting Chelsea kind of just dictate possession, ping the ball around all over the place. They were finding a lot of space and wide areas and exploiting that in Honestly, from the get-go, I thought within 10 minutes, we were really, really fortunate not to have already conceded. I can agree with that. And I think this is something that we've been saying for the entire season, right? Everton has been a second-half team, barring the Newcastle match. Don't laugh at me. But the issue is, it's just it's just a lack of confidence. We keep saying that, but like it was night and day between you know the first half and then coming out of the tunnel at halftime or after halftime. You know, we were on the front foot, we scored, and then we just, we stuck to our plan, we did what we needed to do. But the thing is, it's, the the way Chelsea set up, I think, is just sorry ball, right? It's it's so different from what we're used to seeing in the Premier League in general, that it's just really hard to manage. The reason why they found so much space on the wings, which we already knew was going to happen, right? That is their thing, is is building up from the wings, is they have this sort of you know, in possession, they pinch in all of the forwards pinch in almost. And so you occupy the entire back line. So, so you can't let your fullbacks kind of defend wide. And then all of a sudden their fullbacks push up and have miles of space. Well, what happens? Your wingers have to track back with their fullbacks, 
Next thing you know, if you can regain possession, you're hoping one man, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, can trap the ball and make something happen when Richarlison and Bernard sprint 40 yards just to just to catch up, you know? And that, that was our issue, and we just couldn't figure out how to counter that in play in the first half. Yeah, and then when you have, you know, Michael Keane and Yerry Mina both not really renowned for their skill on the ball, when you're resorting to... What it comes down to is like we just don't look very confident trying to play out from the back, which is the way that Marco Silva often insists on playing. When you're playing against a high press, it takes a lot of really nice little one-two, a lot of movement, and a lot of quick passing to kind of get Chelsea out of possession, and then you're able to break. We weren't able to do that, so what would happen is we'd play it out. We look to maybe you know play it to Michael Keane. Michael Keane looks out wide to Luca Dean. Luca Dean's not there. Okay, we go back to Jordan Pickford. He hoofs it long. A couple times we went long to Bernard on on the wing. Just like inexplicable to me how you can expect him to win a ball in the air. I do think Bernard had a really good game. Um, Off of what you were saying, the wingers tracking back, I actually thought both he and Richarlison did an excellent job tracking back and preventing Chelsea from really like overloading either side of uh, either wing. And so credit to that. And then also... Your point about Calvert-Lewin trying to win balls in the air, I thought he was outstanding today, holding up some really, really quality moments of hold-up play from him, bringing the ball down, neat little touches, maintaining possession, and then finding a player in space. And he has come on leaps and bounds. We've known that he's a prospect for some time, and now that he's finally getting a consistent run, we're, we're starting to see his quality shine through. Yeah, I think... I legitimately think, and I've been I've been praising him for a good while, but I legitimately think Dominic Calvert-Lewin now looks like a staple in the first team. He's not he's not a player that you know we know of as an England U twenty one who or U twenty who won the World Cup and and he just turned twenty two and he's a young player trying to get minutes. I think we can regard him as a mainstay in the first team squad. And I'm really excited to see what he can do in the future because he's been scoring some goals. We saw today in the first half when he got it on his left foot, probably about 20 yards out from goal, and he just had a shot. And that's what he needs to do more. And so with that boost in confidence, with the way that he is able to now hold up play, he's gotten strong. He's gotten better with his first touch. He's gotten better with his with his passing and interplay with, with a lot of the forwards, Gilfie Sigurdsson, Bernard, Richarlison. So I'm really excited to continue seeing him get game time. But I think it's pretty damning for Cenk Tosin. Yeah, I think it's safe to say Cenk Tosin is off of Marco Silva's list. I mean, if if needed, he can certainly come on. But with the overwhelming potential of Calvert-Lewin in the much higher ceiling, it just doesn't make sense to continue to play Cenk Tosin given the, the very small return that we've gotten from him like him as a person seems to really like the club and like to wants to fight for his place but if we're looking towards the future it has to be Calvert-Lewin for me for the rest of the season and then in the summer you bring in a solid competitor for Calvert-Lewin not someone to necessarily immediately jump in and, and fill his his void fill his spot in the lineup at the number 9 but you bring in someone who will compete with him and then you have some healthy competition at that position which is something we've lacked for years now So let's talk about these statistics from Callum Wyatt on Twitter. He posted this actually yesterday. And so so keep in mind, these statistics were prior to the match starting. But Everton's attack in terms of goals per 90 
Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin are tied at 0.46 goals per 90. So that tells you that Calvert-Lewin has been just as efficient as Richarlison has. Next up is Gilfie Sigurdsson with 0.41. Obviously, Gilfie Sigurdsson plays further back on the pitch. And after the match, Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson both have 12 goals in the league this season. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned either of the goals specifically or in any to any degree of depth, but a really clever positioning from, from Richarlison for the first goal, just right place, right time, nods at home with conviction. And then Gilfie Sigurdsson, I'll admit, when we awarded that penalty, which was won by Richarlison, fair play, clear penalty, gets his toe stomped and goes down. Feels nice to get a penalty every now and then. It doesn't feel like we've had too many this year. And Sigurdsson steps up, hits it a little too direct for me. Um, I don't know if it's his confidence, but saved, but then really composed on the finish. I mean, there wasn't much that Keppa was able to do because he was committed at that point, and it really just fell right back to Siggy, who tucked it home nicely. It was really encouraging to see us able to see out the game, manage the final half hour or so, uh, which we were completely unable to do, of course, against Newcastle last week. And so what we have is now two games that could not be more opposite of each other, where we were completely on the front foot first half against Newcastle. It all falls apart completely on the back foot against Chelsea in the first half and then a 180 again. So it's just a continuation of the inconsistencies of this team we've seen all year. But the bright spots are brighter than anything we ever saw under Sam Allardyce or Ronald Koeman. I would I would offer that up as a point of contention. Some might disagree, but the high points are really high and, and it shows you what Marco Silva's vision for the team is and what he's trying to do. Yeah, and you know what I really like to see after the match was Marco Silva walked out on the pitch. You could tell he was happy. But he just gave all the players a hug, right? Like he just gave gave them a hug, whispered something along or well, probably not whispered seeing as how they were in a, lo- a very, very uh, a loud stadium. But, you know, said something probably along the lines of you did well, worked hard, blah, blah, and just moved on to the next player. And I think that's really important because it shows. And I, I mean, we've known this, but he's just a really good man manager. You know that the players are working hard for him. They believe in his system. They believe in what they're doing at the club. We all know, including himself and the players, that they're much better than where our position suggests. But at the end of the day, the way we looked in the second half in terms of our confidence, and as you said, the way that we were just able to close out the match, just get compact, you know exactly what you need to do. Players were slide tackling left and right, trying to you know, intercept or just block a pass, essentially. It was great to see. And I'm really excited, but that kind of feels deflating seeing as how we now have two weeks until our match against West Ham. Yeah, two weeks, then we'll go onto the training pitch and and try to harness this momentum, something we have been completely unable to do so far. But a West Ham match away, it will be a a test. And I mean, they just recently, they had a really crazy game um, yesterday and escaped with the results. So they'll be looking to harness some momentum as well. They'll be at home, the 60,000-seater stadium. And I mean, not not looking forward to, uh, not looking ahead to that too, too much because I do want to kind of revel in this victory, which is something we've been begging for as fans for a long time. When you see teams like Wolves and Palace and Leicester able to get results against top six sides, and for whatever reason, we just have not been able to do it. It feels good to finally 
you know, break that streak. And I think if anything, it was like the weight of that record or poor record against the top six or even the top half, if you look at it, was kind of just holding us back. And now that we've shown, hey, we can actually beat these teams, we can play toe to toe with them. I think it will do a lot for the confidence of the players in in the team. And again, it's just it's something to build off whether we actually end up building off of it remains to be seen. All right, James, I've got a spicy question for you in terms of our record against the the top 10 in general. Are you ready? Hit me with it. My question for you is, we have shown that we really can't get positive results against the top 10 or the top half of the table, unfortunately. Do you think the main contributor to that is the way we set up for the match against them? No, I don't think that I don't think that that's true. It goes on. I mean, it, it goes back to the last three or four managers. Of course, the the result against City was under Ronald Koeman. But it. I think if if anything, it's just the mentality of the players. Marco Silva has set us up and put us in good positions against most top six teams we've played this season, and we've played our way for the most part. We haven't really let those teams like dominate us, save the Spurs game, which. I've kind of just blacked out of my memory forever, but you go and think like 2-1 against Man U, the Arsenal game, all of these matches that we we drew Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, drew Liverpool. So it's it's a game of fine margins and I think a lot of it has to go has to be chalked up to just unfortunate luck and just the lack of confidence in the team to be when you go so long without beating one of these teams it kind of just starts to weigh on you. And then you start to have those thoughts in the back of your mind. Like, I mean, they're better than us objectively, but in a game that goes 90 minutes with very fine margins, anything can happen. And we just haven't really had that clinical finish or the, the spark in the right moments to be able to get over the hill. So I don't know if it has to do, honestly, I think Marco Silva deserves to be commended for the way he's set up against most of the top six sides this season, because he's been looking to get results. He hasn't shown you know, a lot of the teams when they when lower table teams go to these sides and try to get results, it's a smash and grab, right? They'll sit back, concede 60, 70% possession to them and hope that something on the counter will work out and they'll get a one-no win. And Marco Silva wants to go toe-to-toe with these teams because that's where he envisions and where us as fans envision Everton being, even if we're not there right now, being there within the next couple of years. And you have to approach with that mentality if you want to have long-term success, in my opinion. That's fair. I think so. I think that I would agree with you. It's it's probably, well, it's mainly confidence. And it just, I just don't understand because we were saying the same thing last week against Newcastle after the first, after the first goal. Look at how confident they are now compared to at nil-nil. Look at how confident we are after Richarlison is able to get somewhat of a lucky goal. And then we we are just ready to go. And And, you know, I watched the post-match talk with Sigurdsson and Coleman. And Coleman literally highlighted the fact that the fans got behind them again after their first goal at Goodison Park, and it spurred them on. And so you wonder, you know, how much more is it going to take for the fans to continue to do that sort of thing? Now, I understand how excited can you be? We just lost 3-2 to Newcastle, giving up three goals in a row. Now we come to Goodison Park against Chelsea. And, you know, you, you I, I mean, I went into the match feeling pretty soulless. But at the, at the same time, you just, you need that sort of atmosphere. And I think it's super telling 
the way that they continuously harp on the fact that they need the fans behind them. Yeah, it goes, it's in any sport, right? You look at, you know, college basketball, Cameron Indoor Stadium, Duke, one of the most intimidating atmospheres in in the sport and college football, you know, any sport when you are home and you have the fans behind your back, it is objectively more difficult for the opposition to maintain their composure and play their game because you've got 30, 40, 20, whatever it is, thousand people all just screaming when you have the ball. It just, it makes it hard to concentrate. And I think the fans were ready to be up for this game. You saw all the pictures. We saw all the pictures of the banners and credit to all those fan groups that are doing uh, important work in trying to rekindle the atmosphere that, that Goodison has developed a reputation for. But then when the team comes out so flat and sitting back in their own half and it just comes across as like a lackadaisical approach to the game. Chelsea are pinging the ball all over the pitch. We can't string two passes together. That doesn't really encourage the fans to stand up and cheer. And so Adam Jones of the Liverpool Echo actually just came out with a pretty decent article and essentially makes the argument that's been made a hundred times. You know, it's a chicken and the egg thing. The fans need to get behind the players, but the players have to give the fans something to cheer for. And in the second half, that materialized to perfection the fans were up, and it showed what Goodison really can be on its day. Very well said, James, per usual. So let's wrap this up. Who is your man of the match today at Goodison Park? For me, it has to be DCL. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, the three-named wonder, did so much important work today. The relentless running that was necessary in the first half. One of the only players I thought that really showed a passion and desire in his work in the first half tracking you know not much service coming his way but uh pestered the Chelsea backline consistently had some good ball retention and then in the second half he was even better really grew into the game and was instrumental in a lot of the things we had going forward not just winning the ball but also like receiving the ball and facilitating it i thought he did did miraculously well but you could make the argument for a few other players. Alex, I'm not sure. Who who do you go with for your man of the match? I like your shout, and I agree with all your points. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is an OG at this point, but I'm going to have to go with Richarlison. He scored a goal. He earned the penalty for the second goal. His confidence himself skyrocketed. You know, he he looked just 10 times the player after he was able to score that goal early on in the first half. He was linking up well with with Seamus Coleman, and I'd and I like to highlight the fact that he was playing on the right-hand side, which is his least preferred side of the pitch. So overall, I'm really happy to see that he has 12 goals this season. Calvert-Lewin has been shipping in. Gilfie Sigurdsson has 12 goals this season as well. And so I think it's going to be a really bright future. Should add that the 12 goals by Richarlison is the most of any Brazilian player in the Premier League. I saw that stat. That's pretty uh, telling. and. With him on now, I believe, a five-year contract, I'm sure there will be suitors sniffing around him come the summer. We're not selling. Give us $500 million for him. I don't even want that. I'll, I, I don't care. I don't care. But otherwise, otherwise, the only thing we need now is the other Brazilian to chip in because, uh, you know, Bernard has, has, as you said earlier, he had a great game. Hopefully, he continues his great form. But at the end of the day, you need those statistics as, as, as much as it's annoying. Nonetheless... Shoot us a tweet at USA Toffee Pod. Let us know how you're feeling. 
Let us know if you disagree with any of our thoughts. Maybe if you agree, if you just really liked what we said, which might be doubtful, James. (laughs) Could be. Otherwise, also give us a like on Facebook, American Toffee Podcast. I think it's the same handle at USA Toffee Pod. And look out on Thursday for our analysis of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, how his play has grown over the last couple months, some statistics comparing him to other strikers, and how or if he can grow into the number nine we so badly need for next season. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.